0: Our passage today comes from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And when you have found it, if you are able, I invite you to stand, please, for the reading of the Word of God. James writes, "...what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead." But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. This is the word of God. And you may be seated. From uh, this passage, I'll preach from the title, Acts of Love. Acts of Love. Sometimes I think that the longer someone has been a Christian, the more complicated this passage sounds. If you're not a Christian this morning, or maybe you are new to following Jesus, I bet these verses actually make sense to you. Of course faith and actions go together. If I say that I have faith in a very rickety, old, messed up chair, but I never actually sit down on that chair, you would be right to question my faith in that chair. Of course, faith and actions go together. It's pretty straightforward, right? Well, it is until we read something like this from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Rome. He says, For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Are James and Paul contradicting each other? James says that we need faith and works in order to be justified, to be made right with God. Paul says that justification is by faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from works. Well, I think it's important to remember a couple of things. First, James was writing to a specific group of people, and it seems like these young Christians had the idea that their faith could remain passive. That they shouldn't expect that their faith in Jesus would actually impact how they lived. And James pushes back very hard against that wrong assumption. The second thing that we might remember is that the works that the Apostle Paul wrote about were typically the works of the Jewish law. Things like circumcision. Paul wanted Gentiles to understand that they didn't have to first become Jewish in order to follow Jesus. James, on the other hand, writing to Jewish Christians, seemed to have in mind what some of the rabbis called the works of hesed, or the works of loving kindness, or the law of love. So Paul was concerned that Christians not look to the Jewish law as a sign of acceptance, while James's concern was that Christians were neglecting God's law of love. And it was to those specific Christians who were not living out their faith that James taught that faith without works is dead. So, is the question about the relationship between faith and works merely a theological debate? I don't think so. In fact, I would argue that this is one of the most pressing questions facing the church today. It seems like every week, another hypocritical Christian leader is exposed. Each of these people have proclaimed, often very loudly, their faith in Jesus. But when it comes to their actions, their works, we seem to keep discovering new gaps. And sometimes these gaps have to do with public works of justice and righteousness, and other times these gaps have to do with personal works of holiness and devotion to Jesus. But whatever the specifics, it seems like... Christians today, not just those few examples of Christian leaders, have come to accept that faith and actions don't have all that much in common. And I would suggest that our witness to Jesus is suffering because of this. You and I are surrounded by neighbors and friends who wonder whether the amazing things we proclaim... That there is a God, that this God has come near in Jesus, that we can be in relationship with this God. We are surrounded with people who wonder if the things we claim have any bearing on how we live. And I don't think we can fault them for wondering about that. I think we are surrounded with folks who are less interested in what you and I say about our faith, and much more interested in what our actions reveal about that faith. Our actions reveal our faith. Our actions reveal our faith. This is what I want us to understand and remember today. Our actions reveal our faith. And James keeps returning to that particular point rather bluntly in these few verses. First, he says that faith without loving actions is dead. And secondly, and not surprisingly, he says, faith with loving actions is alive. Let's take the first. Faith without loving actions. I'm sorry, just so stinking cute. I'm not going to be, if I don't look over here, it's nothing personal. It's just, that's a very cute human being over over there. So, I'm sorry, those of you who are at home, but just, just, you have to believe me, he's a beautiful, beautiful looking child over there. Faith without loving actions is dead. James asks a rhetorical question in verse 14. He he asks, can faith save you? I think most of us who follow Jesus would say, well, yes, of course. But for James, in this context, the answer is no. No. He has in mind something particular. His passage begins and ends with the claim that faith without works is dead. And halfway through, he says, faith without works is barren, is lifeless. It seems that some of the people, at least, who James was writing to had conflated belief and faith. And we talked about this earlier this summer. James says, you believe God is one. He might be thinking of the Jewish prayer, the Shema, "Here, O Israel, our Lord, our God, the Lord is one. James says, that's good that you believe that. (laughs) Even the demons do. He's pointing out a kind of hypocrisy with what we claim to believe and how we believe live if you 're not a Christian this morning if you 're a new follower of jesus this morning it 's important to understand that Jesus calls us to faith, our beliefs matter, of course, but Jesus is calling us to a relational experience wherein our lives actually change, where we live very very differently now James is here not speaking simply in a in a general statement he 's speaking very specifically, and we know this because He once again draws our attention to the issue of wealth and poverty. Now, Dennis Bourne preached last week about favoritism in the church from the passage preceding this one and the division between the wealthy and the impoverished and the church. James is here not just choosing a random example having to do with wealth and poverty. He's thinking of specific stuff that's happening in the church, specific people, specific dynamics. He says there are sisters and brothers in need in the community. He says they are naked, they are hungry. He says, and and your response has been to to look at those sisters and brothers and and, and say, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill. In other words, when confronted with very real material need, the the, the response has been this over-spiritualized Christian cliches. Go in peace, be with God, be blessed and highly favored while leaving completely undisturbed the material needs that those sisters and brothers are experiencing. It's interesting that, that elsewhere in James, when when James is writing to or, or referencing the, the people in the church, he will usually just use the Greek word for brothers, and he means the whole church. He, he means brothers and sisters. But in this passage, James uses the word for brother... And the word for sister. And and so it it leads one uh, biblical scholar, Esla Tamez, to to believe that that James here is thinking particularly about women in the congregation. She writes It is very probable then that the needy were commonly women in the church. James is here addressing a specific situation of inequity in the church. Where those who were poor in the eyes of the world, to use a phrase James previously used, probably mostly women, were being overlooked and over-spiritualized and having their needs ignored. And James is here assuming that the church is in a position to do something about those needs. He wouldn't say this otherwise. He assumes that all the resources necessary to meet those needs exist within the church. Leading one biblical scholar to say that this is an example of a deliberate failure to love. Can faith save you? James is asking, can faith without loving actions... Can faith, without loving actions, especially to those who have been impoverished in this world, save you? And to this answer, James is very to this question, James is very clear, no, it cannot. Remember, James is likely the brother of Jesus. James had seen Jesus in action. He had seen Jesus quite literally love the naked and the hungry. I think if we're honest, we have to say that faith that does not prioritize the poor betrays Jesus. It is a dead faith. One of the things that I absolutely love about our church, one of the ways that my faith has been profoundly encouraged over the years is watching different ones of you actively love in this way. I have watched different ones of you pay someone else's bill in the church. I have seen some of you learn that somebody in the church is solely responsible for caring for one of their extended family members and is barely surviving under that burden. And you come along and you don't just help the person in the church, you help the person who they are helping. There are others of you who have used your talents and skills and gifts to show up at somebody's house and repair something and fix something and build something so that that person doesn't have to go into debt in order to have that thing fixed. But well, I could go on, you get the idea. Loving action responsive to a living faith. If our actions reveal our faith, then an absence of loving action reveals a dead faith. And that doesn't make me any more comfortable than it makes you. <laughs> The passage turns, and James makes the point that faith with loving actions is alive. I think the turning point is in verse 20, and and here's where you either love James or, 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 or you hate James, because he gets kind of sarcastic. He says, Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, you empty person, you vacuous person, that faith apart from works is barren? Barren signifies lifeless. And so clearly, uh, a faith with works, a a faith with loving actions is living, it's alive. And, And James gives two examples to show this kind of living faith. The first is the example of Abraham who, who offers his son Isaac at God's command as a sacrifice. And, 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 and maybe you know the story where, where God intervenes and says, No, Abraham, of course I don't want you to sacrifice your son. I love him. I love you too much. I was testing you to see your faith. And now I see, Abraham, that you believe me, you trust me, your faith is in me. The other example that James gives is the example of Rahab. Now, now Rahab was was not a Jewish person. She wasn't a person of the covenant. She was was a a, a citizen of the city of Jericho. And when the the, the nation of Israel came around Jericho as they're coming into the land of promise, Rahab welcomes two of the spies who had been sent to, to, to spy out Jericho. And she hides them, she protects them, and then when it's safe, she sends them. And James says that she's justified because she welcomed and she sent these messengers, these spies. In the book of Joshua, where we read about this story, Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we read this. Before they, that is those two men, went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that dread of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab is a vulnerable person. Rahab here, when she encounters these these two spies, had the, the, the choice to give them up. And that probably would have been good for her. That that might have actually helped her situation. She would have proven her loyalty. And yet instead, she places herself in this risky situation by harboring them, welcoming them, and then sending them safely. Rahab acts on her faith. She lives in response to her faith. And James says... That both Rahab and Abraham are justified by their works. Now, Abraham, of course, predates the Jewish uh, covenant with God, and so. Of course, he was not living uh, justified by the, the, the works of the law that he was keeping. And, and Rahab existed outside of, of God's covenant with his people. So she wasn't going to be justified by that covenant law either. They were both justified by their works, by their acts of love in response to their faith in God. Are you with me? Again, this is the, the law of love. They were justified. They were made right with God by acting in love in response to their faith. Their actions revealed a living faith. Towards the end of our passage, James introduces uh, kind of a word picture. He says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. The word here for spirit is the Greek word pneumatos, which also carries the, the meaning of breath or, or, or wind. Uh, kids, kids, real quick here. Um, if, if, if I know some of the kids are still with me. Yesterday, Winston and I were at a soccer game. Winston had already had his soccer game. We were watching uh, Elliot's soccer game. And Winston brought, uh, uh, it was a moth, right? Wasn't it like a little, a little moth? Like a little tiny moth that he had found, and he and he was showing it to me, and it wasn't moving on his hand, it was just kind of sitting there. And I said, Oh, that's cool. I said, Is it dead? And and Winston said, It's not dead. Now now how do you think Winston knew that the moth wasn't dead? Any guesses, kids? Any guesses? Yeah, Winston remembers yes in the back. Somebody say it real loud for me. I couldn't quite hear. You might have already seen it moving. Moving. Yeah, that was, see, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for moving. What's what Winston said? Winston said, I know it's alive because when I touch it, I can see it breathe. And sure enough, he touched it and it kind of like, you know, and then, and then it flew away. He said, I know it's alive because I can see it breathe. There's breath in it. It's not dead, it's 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 alive. Now now, now watch what James is doing here. James says the, the, the body is like faith and 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 the spirit or the breath is like works. You say I can see that it's alive because it's breathing. I, I can see that the faith is not dead. Because there's breath in it. There's spirit in it. It's alive. This is what James is hoping that we can see. Now we need to remember that, that James is a Jewish person and he's writing to Jewish Christians. And they, they did not have the same way of bifurcating mind and body and soul and spirit and breath like we do. They, they see they saw human beings as, as integrated beings reflecting the image of God. And so it wasn't that there was breath over here and body over here. James is saying faith and works, breath and body are integrated into one whole. And so if we can see the breath, if we can see the spirit, we know there's life. We know the faith is alive and living. Now our bodies need breath. Our bodies need air. But you cannot separate breath from the body. Life requires spirit and body. Breath and flesh. And in the examples of both Abraham and Rahab, in the example of body and spirit, we see how completely integrated and woven together is our faith and our loving actions. If our actions reveal our faith, then our loving actions reveal a living faith. It breathes. It's alive. Let me end. Let me end here. If faith without loving actions is dead and faith with loving actions is alive, what, what, what do we do with this knowledge? The vision that James is here putting in front of us is a living faith in Christ Jesus. A living faith revealed by active love, especially an active love to those who are poor in the eyes of this world. Our loving actions then can serve as a mirror to our faith. Our loving actions can serve as a mirror... For us to reflect on the nature of our faith. Were you to reflect on your actions. Were you to honestly and soberly reflect on your actions. What would they say about your faith? What would the way that you and I live. Tell us about The direction of our faith. Who we've placed our faiths in. Where we have placed our faith. Would the mirror of our loving actions reflect a faith that has been placed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Would that mirror reflect that our faith is honestly mostly in ourselves and what we can do and what we can accomplish and what we can earn and what we can plan and what we can hold together? Would the mirror of our actions reflect that our faith is mostly in our bank accounts? Because depending on the balance in the bank accounts, our disposition towards life is going to look a lot different. Would the mirror of our loving actions reveal that our faith is mostly in our career, in the grad school we're attending, in the status we hope to gain by that position or that move or that promotion? Friends, if we say today that our faith has been placed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then consider very carefully who you have placed your faith in. You have placed your faith in the Messiah who healed the sick. You have claimed to place your faith in the Messiah who spent time with the marginalized and proclaimed freedom for the captives. Would you would you consider who you've placed your faith in? Would you remember that that this Messiah then poured out His Holy Spirit onto His followers, that they would live the same way, that they would express the same loving action. And so we have to ask, how could we not live our faith if it has been placed in this Jesus? How could our faith not be expressed in loving actions? How could our faith not privilege those who've been impoverished by this world? If indeed we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus. Would you, would you look in the mirror this week? Would you take time to look in the mirror of your actions this week? Some of you need to do that with somebody else. Because some of us are really good at being delusional. And others of us lean in the other direction. And we're really hard on ourselves. So you might need some help to honestly reflect on your actions this week. But would you allow allow your actions to be a mirror to your faith this week? What is it that this mirror reveals about your faith. The very, very good news in all of this, and this is a hard teaching, the very good news in all of this is that we can live our faith. That Jesus actually means for us to be able to live our faith. (laughs) The the, the really good news is that, that Jesus didn't come to give you a new set of beliefs to keep on yourself while leaving everything undisturbed in this world. The good news is that faith in Jesus Christ is meant to be experienced and lived and proclaimed. Amen? Amen. So please don't be afraid to look honestly in the mirror this week. What you find might trouble you. I know it will trouble me. Perhaps without even noticing it, your faith has shifted from the living Christ to something else. When you see that, do not be discouraged. Simply turn back to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. When you look in the mirror and the news is bad, when the truth is revealed clearly for you, do not be discouraged because repentance is just turning back to the one who never left you in the first place. See him draw near to the hungry and the naked. See Him draw near to the isolated and the vulnerable. See Him draw near the object of your faith to the despised and the overlooked. See Him draw near to you and then allow your living faith in that Jesus. To move you to act and live in love. Amen? Spirit of the living God. Make possible what seems impossible. Where we have contented ourselves with a kind of actions that reveal a faith in anything other than yourself. Would you... Wake us up. Would you remind us of what is possible in you? Would you convince our hearts again today that the faith we proclaim was always meant to be lived? Would you remind us of the presence and the power of your pr- very presence in our lives through your Holy Spirit that we have been empowered to live our faith in you? So give us courage this week. To look honestly at our lives. Would you show us how our actions can reflect for us, even for a moment, where our faith has been placed? And whenever we see that we have not given that little bit of faith to you, but to someone or something else... Let that gospel message be clear and beautiful in our ears, that you are close, that you are available, and that we only have to turn back to you. So reveal the truth in our lives today. Invite us to deeper experiences of faith in you and more loving actions in response to that faith in our world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.